Fire has been an integral part of rock and roll ever since I can remember. Lots of musicians sing about fire. Stage shows involve fire. Some clubs even catch on fire. Musicians light their guitars on fire. And in rare cases, musicians catch on fire. This episode, Sid on Fire, we talked to Sid Osgood about his early punk rock roots, his time at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, and that infamous night where he actually caught himself on fire. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Life Radio. Sid on Fire. does music mean to me? You'd have to look at my iPod, and all the songs on the iPod are just pure power, mostly from the mid-80s punk rock kind of realm, Southern California in particular. It's a release for me. It's like an energy release, and it's funny because I do like, you know, classical music. I like other types, but by and large, I can just listen to, like, loud, fast, you know rock and roll punk rock all the time because it just it puts me at ease which is a lot of people find weird because it's like it's loud and annoying to some people and it's like no it like puts your mind right (laughs) i know i can relate to that i think i stopped listening to new music at around 2000 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I go back to all the old stuff that I like from college. and Well, you know, I, I've always liked Pennywise, for example, and they were around kind of late in my you know younger years, but they've still kicked it around, and I still like the new stuff they put out, so I'll still buy it, and it's still that kind of sound I like. So Yeah, Jane's Addiction just did a show. I think Perry Farrell's 50. <laughs> <laughs> we're creeping up on that, though. That's exactly. the scary thing. <laughs> Well, they're still rocking, and the kids are still going out and seeing them. You know, they're still doing the Lollapalooza festivals. And I'm pretty sure I was with you in San Francisco, and we went to a Warp tour. And I remember watching All, you know, which is basically the Descendants. Yeah. And I think I looked over you and I said, I think the first time I saw these guys, half these kids weren't born yet. <laughs> At least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny because um, you know, you and I were both in Seattle at the. I guess you could call it the tail end of the grunge era, but I remember any given day of the week, we'd say, what's going on in the off-ramp? I don't know. Let's go check it out. And, you know, sure enough, we'd be sitting next to Mark Arm and watching Tad or something like that or vice versa. Exactly. I remember one time we went and saw the Melvins at the Mo. We're sitting at the bar having a beer, and I look to my right, and it's Kim Thale yeah. from Soundgarden just sitting there having a beer next to me. <laughs> those were cool times yeah. just to be running to those guys. I remember I ran into Tad a couple of times. The first time I met him, he was all happy. He had a fiancé. I remember buying him a beer, just talking him up, <laughs> thinking he was the greatest. Next time I saw him, I'm like, hey, how's your fiancé? He's like, ah, oh, that didn't work out so good. <laughs> you want a beer, man? Uh, no, I stopped drinking. <laughs> yeah. And I just was back living there the last couple of years, and it's a totally different place. A lot of the places that we used to go are just, like, gone. Yeah. So where did you grow up, and how did you get interested in music? So I grew up in uh, Mesa, Arizona. I grew up in the mid-'80s. The great thing about Phoenix is it's six hours from L.A., which was flourishing, and it was an easy road trip for a lot of bands to come out and do a gig out in in phoenix so we had kind of a budding little scene you know when i was um i don't know in seventh grade i was trying to find 
you know, what was my music groove? What did I like? You know, I listened to the heavy metal for a while or even the, the hair bands and I was just like, wasn't quite finding it. And then I got to high school and, uh, you know, one, one friend gave me a Bad Brains tape and I'm like, this is it. This is good stuff. It's the Bad Brains with their song, I Against I. I didn't quite fit in with the jock crowd or or the the brainy crowd or anything and it, it sounds cliche but I was just kind of like you know I was just kind of in the middle I wasn't offensive to anyone or anything like that <laughs> so I just started kind of hanging out with the the punk rock skater kind of crowd and really liked the music that my friends had in their cars on the way to lunch and whatever and I guess I was a freshman in high school when I caught my first show, and it was Social Distortion, The Descendants, and I just remember like going into the pit. I was a little scrawny kid, tall but scrawny, and uh, seeing these giant dudes, skinheads in the middle, blocking out. Once I got up the courage to go in the pit, started going around and, and fell down, and I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen to me? And the six foot seven guy with Liberty Spikes just scoops me up. You're right, dude. And then he just throws me out of the pit, and I was like, wow, like, this is like cool. organized chaos. I yeah, love it. Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty much what kind of hooked me. But it, it's just really the sound that really hooked me. And then um, I think when I was a sophomore, so I was in the orchestra. You know, I mentioned that I played the cello for many years. I was hanging out with this crowd, and my friend wanted to start a band. And he's like, you know, I need a bass player. I got a guitar player and a drummer. I need a bass player. And I was just like... I played the cello, which was in bass clef, not the same strings, but I was like, oh, I can play, I, I can play bass. So I knew this girl that had a bass, borrowed her bass, and next thing you know, I was a bassist in a punk rock band. That's all it takes, <laughs> isn't it? Yep. You probably, no t- had a, you probably had the edge over a lot of them because you already were playing at least an instrument. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I gave me, I had calluses on my fingers, that was a start. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know and then once i learned to double pick it was all it was all easy from there it's all gravy so uh yeah you know we we uh were terrible and and got a little better and but it was it was great because the scene was such that um 
you know, like I was saying, or like I was saying about the bands coming over from LA or from wherever. I mean, bands are coming from Seattle or Oregon. It was relatively easy back then. Um, there was a guy um, that owned a bunch of clubs that were all ages clubs. You know, we just go talk to this guy and say, "Hey, can we get on your list of bands?" And we knew all the guys that were on the the list of opening bands, the local acts yeah. that could come. So eventually, you know, we got linked into there and got to, you know, play some, you know, cool shows. Uh, I think Mentors was one of the first. The, we had Descendants, Social Distortion, Suicidal Tendencies. Um, so it was, it was good times, uh, you know. What uh, was your band name? Uh, well, we started out as uh, Fatal Mistake and evolved into uh, All Rights Reserved. Then, you know, kind of in my senior year, I st- kind of left that band and just went band to band for a while until I, uh, you know, decided to uh, go to the U.S. Coast Guard Academy yep. randomly. So, <laughs> um, but uh, so for the better part of uh, junior sophomore year, that's when uh, All Rights Reserved was kind of kicking it and. But yeah, it was good times. We played in uh, mainly in a place called Prisms. There were like three or four places to play in, in the Phoenix area back then. Um, Prisms was on the East Valley side. The Mason Jar, and then there was a place called the Metro, which closed down, I think, when, I think for, I don't know, drugs or <laughs> selling beer to minors or yeah. something like that. So these were just full-on full-blown bars and you were able to play some, them. some were bars but had all ages like yeah. hours and openings gotcha, and man. stuff um prisms was just an all-ages club it didn't sell you know beer i mean and they would have dance nights and stuff because that was the you know that was also the era of the cure and depeche mode so they'd have you know your mod squad nights or whatever <laughs> exactly <laughs> always hanging out you know whether it was aggression or pusker do you know, those are the kinds of bands that rolled through there. You know, just a wide range. That sounds like a lot of really big bands went through there. It didn't seem like that back then. Take Social Distortion. They're, like, huge now. Back then, they were just another band. Teeth. I mean, they were big enough to where we'd all want to go see them. But yeah, yeah. let me put it another way. I had already gone to the Coast Guard Academy. A couple years in, I'd come home for Christmas. And the Mason Jars, this tiny little place... My friend said, you got to come check this band out. They're crazy. You know, you just, you got to check them out. And it was Tool. I mean, early on yeah. in the Tool era. I just remember going to this little tiny club and, you know, watching uh, Maynard Keenan just like do most of the show with his back turned with his spinal cord tattoo face in the crowd. <laughs> and it was an epic show. I mean, it was really amazing. And it's this tiny club and just, a couple weeks ago in Arizona they played the the US Airways Pavilion you know the basketball arena so it's like yep Yep. (laughs) times have changed Tool with the song Sober
16th place, the Mason Jar Pearl Jam played this tiny, yeah. tiny little club. Just before they released 10, I just remember, and the energy was just so high because it was back in that era where Eddie Vedder would just kind of crawl all over and do whatever, and 10 comes out, and then it's legendary. I also remember at the Academy, we were going to like damage control school during the summer, and I went to Pennsylvania to Philadelphia and went to a small club like that and saw The Fluid, which is a sub pop. Yeah, you introduced me to them. Yeah, and uh, oh man, it was so cool. It was such a tiny club. It was super long and very skinny, and I remember stage diving into the crowd and surfing all the way to the end until there were no more people, and it dropped right into my head. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. <laughs> So when you left high school and went to the Coast Guard Academy, what were your musical interests? I remember quite distinctly um, all the other kids were getting homesick. I mean, not that I didn't miss home, but the thing that I got the most sick was is they didn't let us listen to really any music as freshmen. And I was like jonesing so hard to just... (laughs) dig into some music and i remember a friend of mine we met up while we were freshmen we got you know a saturday off or something he brought his walkman and i just like stuck that on and i was just oh it was just like so good to listen to and then when i was freshman in october um my parents uh picked up an acoustic guitar and i just that just like made my life better like times 10 just having that guitar that i could like you know, on a Sunday, just sit on my rack in the academy and, and jam. So my real name is not Sid, it's, it's Stephen. We had to give trivia questions at the academy, and uh, the, the upperclassmen who demanded that said that we needed to give more realistic and trivia questions that we knew stuff about. So Mike Lander and I were up in the room the day after they told us that. We're talking to each other, and, and we start talking about music, and I was like, uh, oh, yeah, what do you like? And he told me, you know, he's all over the map. And I told him what I like. And he's like, oh, I have a friend that likes that kind of music. And he goes, and he asked me, he goes, oh, have you ever heard of the Mentors? And I was like, oh, yeah, that was like one of the early bands we opened up for back in the day. He goes, you got to be kidding me. So we go down to the um, to the mess hall the next day. And he, he asks the upperclassmen a trivia question. He said, what was the name of the bass player who opened up for the Mentors in Phoenix, Arizona in 1986? <laughs> and so they couldn't get it. And they were actually trying to figure out, well, what bands would have toured with the Mentors, you know, whatever. And so then he said it was me. And they're like, wow, did you have a nickname? And I was like, uh, no, no, sir. And uh, they're like, you need a nickname. And so the next day, um, I believe it was Steve Ellis came to the table and just said, Sid. We're going to call you Sid. You're going to be known as Sid your whole career. Everyone's going to call you Sid, and, and pretty much it's stuck. So I think it is stuck in your professional and personal life. Yep, yep. <laughs> Even girlfriends know me as yep. Sid. Even my nieces and nephews call me Uncle Sid, so there. <laughs> <laughs> Which was kind of funny because we used to, in high school... We used to make fun of, like, the Sid's Kids punk rockers, which were the strung out, you know, the guys who just didn't have their act together. So we kind of made fun of that <laughs> notion. It's sacrilege, I guess. But So then all my, I come back and I was like, dude, you're not going to guess what nickname they gave me. <laughs> and so they kind of made fun of me and they still refused to call me it. Oh, that is funny. Yeah. So you were asking, you know, what was my uh, music interest, you know, in the academy? I mean... 
one was just to, to be able to listen to it again. And so, you know, we'd go seek out the bands in the local area, either in Providence or the LNG Club in downtown New London. We saw the mentors in New London at the LNG Club. And so one of my buddies uh, at the Academy, Mike Glander, we sat there and just talked to El Duce from the mentors there was like 15 or 20 people there and to us these guys are like legendary like disgusting rock punk rock you know i mean he's just all fat and he has strippers <laughs> on stage and and so we're talking to aldice he, he's not very communicable or whatever <laughs> or, i don't know if that's the right word but he, he didn't talk finally when i was a sophomore there jerry popeil who's in my company awesome guitarist you know he knew i played bass and said hey i want to do some uh music you want to come down and jam and we laid some tracks down and it was all kind of poppy we played a lot of uh i don't know like pixies and stuff like that and eventually i got replaced in that band um i didn't find out till a long time later right before jerry left we recorded um, some stuff and he actually asked me to go in because I had some skills I wasn't great but I had some skills and I was like well why are you asking me to you know <laughs> you replace me he's like oh well, we just thought you were bored because every time we'd take a break you'd bust out into some like flea maneuvers and just like <laughs> we just thought you didn't like the stuff I was like no but it was I got the jam no, so but then when I was uh <laughs> like a senior um couple other guys and I got together and a guy from a couple cl- or class behind us and we started doing some stuff we never really any good but uh you know while we were there at the academy I mean like I said earlier we'd go catch shows wherever we could and talk about band discoveries um we went up to Providence one night and the whole goal was to see social distortion but we had a curfew so we were like getting worried because it was getting later and later and none of the bands had started and then the opening act came on, and it was this band called Pegboy. And I'd, I'd never heard of them before. You know, I think they're a Chicago-area band, loosely affiliated with Naked Reagan or something like that. But their energy was just amazing. Like, I, it was like, I was almost more glad that I got there to see this band I'd never seen. And, and then got to see some of Social Distortion before we had to run away. So uh, after the Academy, where did you go? What did you do? Well, I went to the uh, Mighty Worship Melon out of Seattle, which was a great time to be there in 1993. Of course, brought our guitars on the ship and created a little band called Lower Sound that... uh, You know, Scott Warder, who's a machinery technician, and Steve McDuffie, uh, electrician's mate, and myself, we all kind of got together and started jamming. They let us use this abandoned sonar room for a rock room incredible stuff created down in that rock room disturbing stuff perhaps so we had uh along with you came uh heller armbruster man by the name of heller armbruster yes <laughs> forced to be reckoned with with a mind that just wanders in ways that we can only not quite understand and an appetite for the uh fonder sex uh, that uh, we can't <laughs> quite understand he could write some lyrics that were just disturbing yet hilarious all at the same time the problem was that uh so i showed up to the ship and i'm a bass player and you're a bass player so we were trying to figure out well what are we going to do now because steve was kind of like he wasn't I guess he kind of stopped really getting active on it. So we were without a guitarist, and I was like, "Eh, I'll buy a guitar. So we we shopped around, and I think you helped me shop for it for a while. And 
Sure enough, I found that Gibson Les Paul special and uh, bought a little effects pedal. So that was most of Lower Sound for me. It was exploring the guitar and exploring my uh, inner Greg Jen, and uh, that kind of lent itself to a lot of the sound behind a lot of the songs. And I still credit Scott Warder with the riff master. He's the guy that put it all kind of together. Yeah, he was like the only real drummer on the boat. I remember we used... Uh, Mac Hine, which was actually a drum machine, we just called it that on credits or whatever, for really most of the, a lot of the recording stuff. But he did have a, he had a drum kit on the boat. And, yeah, uh, it, it came on and came off. Yeah. It was like a rental thing. and well, it, We couldn't really record the drum kit on the boat with all the noises and stuff, so it just yeah. was easier to use a drum machine. Drum machine yeah. But he was actually the drummer, and he also played guitar and was very good. And, I think Matt Kime was the right mix for the Purple Messiah, though. Yeah. I am the Purple Messiah. I am the Purple Messiah. I am Barney. Lower sound with Purple Messiah. Get down. I am fat and purple, you see. Your children will run to me. I magically appear. I make sit and grin from ear to ear. I am the Purple Messiah. I am the Purple Messiah. I am Barney. Big Bird is now dead. I bit off his fucking head. I dance and say stupid chants. I love to take off your kid's pants. I am the Purple Messiah. I am the Purple Messiah. I am Barney. Call me Hitler. Call me Napoleon. Call me Caesar or even Stalin. I will rule the world, you see. Your children chanting behind me. Get down. I was probably 50% proud of that and 50% ashamed of being associated with those songs. <laughs> I don't know. Shame's not the right word. I'm actually no. very happy that the, the Purple Messiah is something I, that I got to play. It, on, is a, it is a bit of shaming. There's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple songs I didn't endorse. Or, exactly. I, there's one song I don't even talk about it because... I read him this article from the rack on the ship. I was like, hey, check this out. And sure enough, the next day, he's got this song all written out. The football players were really offended. (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of good music was created on that ship. Uh, I don't know if you call it good, but it was interesting. (laughs) A lot of good times were created on that ship. But there were some seeds planted for another great band that followed that that I was not a member of. I think a couple songs that came from Lower Sound ended up as early tracks for Visitor 42. Yeah, we definitely did uh, Bosnia. We're yeah. very big fans of that song. To me, I, I actually think the best song that we made, that Hella wrote that I thought was a good song, well, the, the riffs were good, it was heavy, was Alcohol Crown. Yeah, that was very cool. I mean, that's a song I could stand behind uh-huh. and say, like, I'm I, proud to... I could get behind that, <laughs> William Shatner might say. Yeah. You know, after uh, that, that experience on the ship, we all kind of split up, went our separate ways. Yeah, so speaking of Visitor 42, we were playing around in the Bay Area eventually. We started off kind of doing some of those songs and then just started writing our own songs and... 
I, I think I'd just been here about a year or so, and it was probably my 27th or 28th birthday. You guys were jamming the Days Inn in Oakland? or <laughs> It was a hotel like that. I think it might have been Holiday Inn, but it was like, it's like a tiki bar. I remember I invited a bunch of friends because I knew you guys were going to let me jam. It was my birthday, and I brought a bunch of people... And it, I don't think it was the only time I got to do a guest spot, but it no, all depended on how much beer you guys drank that let me guest spot for actually, you guys. Actually, <laughs> uh, there was one song in particular that we'd always invite you up for because we always needed to... Uh, I would switch over to bass. Right. Kurt, who is the, the uh, singer and bass player in The Visitor 42, would would just go hog wild singing. Then it was always nice of you to come right. up and take um, over my guitar and play that. I think there was the jury was still out whether you were going to let me jam, but I knew I wanted to because I always liked to jam. It was just fun for me to jam. And I always liked going to Visitor 42 shows, so it was like two great things for my birthday. It was all, you know, great. So sure enough, um, you guys were playing Funeral, I guess, and um, which I knew on, on the guitar, and you switched up, um, like you said, on the bass. And so... The funny thing was, um, as as is evidenced by the video that was fortunately taken by uh, an attendee at said event, I took the bass from you, or the guitar from you, at, in kind with the strap. I like to play like Tony Lombardo style, down on my knees with the, the guitar, you know, like, or, or Ramon style. Yes. Um, and you, you had it like, for, and I'm, you know, a T-bit, you know, taller... Then you, I played so, more like a Beach Boys doing right. guitars. And yeah. so you playing like the Beach Boys is like it was like at my neck. I it think. was like a necklace. <laughs> it, was it was like crazy. a new flavor flavor. But we didn't have time to mess around with that, so that's all good. So <laughs> you'll see the guitar and it's like way up high. <laughs> And, well, and you're so much taller than me, right. so it, it was, yes. So so we start jamming, and, and the song's got a great bass lead-in. You know, it's just got a great bass lead-in, but it just warrants a little vertical, I think. You know, when that guitar line rolls in, it just warrants a little little hop or something. Yeah. And I don't think I've gotten more vertical any time <laughs> since then. <laughs> I look back, I was like, wow, I got off the ground. <laughs> I don't know how I did that. Visitor 42 with the funeral song, also known as Scent. Sure enough, you know, we, we start jamming. So it is my birthday, and you guys played a little happy birthday 
for me right before that or right around that. Did we had to punk, learn that? I think we had to pull the tab off the punk rock somewhere. style. Yeah, it was exactly. pretty pretty horrible, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was a, awesome it was a nonetheless. Dying cat version of, uh, of it. Happy yes. birthday! So I'm up there and um, we're jamming, and someone buys me a flaming shot. Now keep in mind we're on stage and the bar's forty feet away. And the dutiful waitress brings the shot bought for me over on a platter in the shot glass on a plate or whatever to the stage. And that's not meant to be done, I found out later in my life, with flaming shots. You're supposed to light them and drink them right away. So yeah, no movement involved. No movement involved. But movement means splashing of alcohol. Alcohol spreads. So now I've got a flaming plate of shot and it's being shoved in my face and like i think kurt was like you gotta go man this is for you <laughs> that was some peer pressure because i and would have never just, picked that thing up i'm just looking at the thing but i'm, I'm like kurt it's on fire the whole thing <laughs> and this could hurt me and he's chatting it's on fire it's on fire folks it's so, on fire <laughs> i didn't know i didn't want to look weak in front of my peeps <laughs> so i had to take i had to take the shot and so I was like, there's only one way to do this, and it's fast. So I grabbed the thing. Instantly, I'm like, this sucker's hot. Because <laughs> so it's I, been burning for at least a minute. Yeah, at least a two. minute, too, yeah. whatever. So I throw that sucker down. But as I do it, there's really... I don't know how much alcohol entered my throat, but there's a lot of flames going on. And as I tilt that sucker down my throat, the flames go down, down my body, down to the floor... <laughs> And I'm kicking out flames, but I, in the meanwhile, I'm trying to keep the riffs up. <laughs> trying to keep jamming. I'm trying to keep jamming. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. So that was uh, later revealed as a mistake. Um, <laughs> I, my thumb doubled in size that night as a, from where I grabbed the shot glass. It basically blistered up to twice its size, and uh, I had a lip blister. It was just a mess. <laughs> a lip blister. It was a good thing they had some of those champagne buckets for all that ice. Mm. I remember you sticking your hand in there after the show. Well, Joanne and I went to the, the Scary Safeway in the Western Edition on the way home, and I was like looking for any kind of lidocaine or whatever burn stuff they had because I was like in pain. I was literally, I was, I, that was a burn. I was burned. Oh, yeah, I was. So one of my friends there that night, um, this guy named Scott, he had his video camera and was videotaping kind of the whole thing go down. And maybe four or five years later, he decided he was going to put a lot of his video collections on YouTube. And he sends me this link. And, you know, I was just like, oh, I can't believe that's that's on the Internet. So now I'm on the Internet. <laughs> and we'll definitely be posting that on the interview so people can check it out. Fanta- fantastic. The, the size of that burning shot is it. Actually, when I saw the video, it was bigger than I actually remembered it. And Well, and what's amazing about the video, because you know flames I don't always pick up on video. Yeah. You can actually see the flames <laughs> on the ground around the cords of the guitar and stuff. I'm trying to kick them out. Crazy <laughs> moment. But, you know, who has birthdays like roll. that? It's rock and roll. You might have almost gotten a Darwin Award for that one. I don't know. I know, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to seem weak in front of the people. <laughs> well, any other thoughts about your musical life so far i think the problem is is that i really haven't done much since that time and in um 2006 i had a flood in my house in uh, virginia and i lost 
my two basses, my acoustic, my uh, Les Paul, my Marshall stack, and all of my flyers and everything of memorabilia associated with that. That's horrible. All gone. Just mush. I had a... Um, a classic, uh, you can't even get these things anymore, a Rickenbacker bass. I, I still have it because it's split down the neck. It's ah, ruined, yeah. but I can't I can't bear to put it in a dumpster. I just yeah. can't do it. Yeah, you know, I threw away one of the guitars, but I think it's getting near time where I need to re reconnect myself with the music. I mean, the loss of the guitars was kind of devastating. I hadn't really been in any real projects for a while, but I think it's time that I try to start. Um, I'd really like to get back into doing some kind of jam. There's just something about the jam that, uh, I mean, performing live is awesome too, but just even just the jam, I miss I miss those days, so I need to get back reconnected with that. Well, thanks, Ed, for stopping by and being interviewed. This Thank you, fun. Dan. Always good to talk with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. Make sure you check out the video companion piece that goes along with the story. It's entitled Flaming Sid from YouTube. This shows in all the gory detail the flaming shot that Sid tried to consume. We're going to wrap up this episode of Sid on Fire with the lower sound song entitled Alcohol Crown. Sid Osgood on guitar, myself on bass. Mac Hine on drums and the infamous Heller Arm Brewster on vocals.
Sid wants to remind everybody about a helpful tip. That's not meant to be done, I found out later in my life, with flaming shots. You're supposed to light them and drink them right away.